You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The L-Line News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is Super Bowl weekend. Super Bowl 57, Kansas City versus the Eagles. I'm looking forward to it. Even though it's not really the number one sports topic of America. When you look at the Super Bowl, you have Patrick Mahomes, the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady is retired. Aaron Rodgers could be on his outside looking in with the NFL. He's overseas enjoying his time wherever he is, but there's a lot to get into. Derek Carr is going back and forth with the Saints. Aaron Rodgers is going to the Raiders, and the Jets are going to be leaning towards Ryan Tannehill. I'm just kidding, Jet fans. Maybe Andy Dalton. As a Jet fan, I don't want to hear that, and Lamar Jackson is out of the question. Two first-round draft picks for him, and maybe a third or fourth. That would be a little too much, but we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will be talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst Seth Kaiser. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll go in the ins and the outs with him about Super Bowl 57 with the Eagles and Kansas City and his thoughts. He probably have Kansas City winning the game, but we'll see what he knows about Patrick Mahomes' injury and what this team is going to do going into Super Bowl 57 against this powerhouse Eagles team that is just absolutely loaded. Kyrie Irving traded to the Mavericks. Is it done with the clown circus over there in Brooklyn? it, but one of the clowns are gone. He gets traded to the Mavericks to go and play with Luka Doncic. Spencer Dinwiddie gets traded. Dorian Finney-Smith goes in that trade from Dallas to the Brooklyn Nets. First round pick and two second round picks. And then after that, the Nets decide to trade Kevin Durant. As Kevin Durant gets traded to finally the team he wanted to go to in the offseason, the Phoenix Suns from Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, four first round draft picks, and pick swap in 2000. 28. Barclays Circus has finally exploded. Either that or Sean Marks is looking to lose his job. Seems like a whole Billy King thing over again. So and I like to call it decade javu. And Houston's licking their lips because they're mm-hmm. going to have lottery picks for the next three or four years. The Knicks miss out on Zach Levine, but they make a trade and they send Cam Reddish and a first round pick for Josh Hart. Yes, the same Josh Hart that played with Jalen Brunson in Villanova when they won those national championships. Josh Hart has been a very good secondary piece over there in Portland and he'll be a nice bench piece for the New York Knicks. A guard that can actually rebound and defend multiple positions. So this is something that Tom Thibodeau likes. NHL news. The Rangers get their score, and he scored last night. Vladimir Tarasenko and defenseman Nico Mikola. They added defenseman that they need to play with Schneider from the Blues for a first-round pick, a fourth pick. Winger Sam Blade and defenseman prospect Stuart Skinner. The Islanders signed Bo the Bear Horvat. Eight years, $68 million overall. $8.5 million 
per year. And Lou Lamorello has his own thoughts to that. I don't know why Lou is saying stupid things as he says it's too long and too expensive to give a player of this magnitude that kind of money. Then why would you give it to him? I don't understand, Lou. I know he was trying to be funny, but it didn't make any sense. NFL News, Sauce, and Garrett Wilson win Rookie of the Year. The New York Jets, great year of drafting. And they had Brees Hall, too. That could have won Offensive Rookie of the Year, too. So Brian Dable wins Coach of the Year, which I expected. Super Bowl 57 preview and money line media. So why don't we go into it? Kyrie Irving is gone. Every single Brooklyn Net fan, if there is any, is excited. Why? Because you don't have an anti-Semitic crazy lunatic opening his mouth anymore to the press, talking his gibberish crap on social media, and just who he is off the court, and actually calling practices when he shouldn't be. No more Kyrie Irving. After Kevin Durant goes down a couple of weeks ago, the Nets found out that he was going to be out a significant amount of time, four to eight weeks. After Kyrie Irving had to take over and be the number one option, kept this team afloat a week before the trade deadline. He goes to the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks and tells them, I want to be traded. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go elsewhere. The Nets were not going to give him a super max contract. They never were planning to give him a super max contract. So he didn't want to be here anymore. The Nets suspended him for the stupidity that came out of his mouth and all over social media. He apologized. And I'll get into the stupidity that after being introduced with the Mavericks, what he said at the press conference was absolutely despicable as a man and as a player that's making millions and millions of dollars playing in front of fans that love him. The Nets decide a couple of days before the trade deadline to trade Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks for Spencer Dinwiddie X. Brooklyn Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie, which they should have never traded away. Dorian Finney-Smith, a pretty decent defensive player that has upside. Maybe he becomes a pretty decent offensive player for the Nets. He could shoot the three. That's something that they need because Joe Harris can't hit anymore. (laughs) A first-round pick and two second-round picks for Kyrie Irving. Is it worth a player of Kyrie Irving's talent? No. To trade away probably the best point guard in the league. Yes, he has a big mouth. Yes, I don't want him on my team because he's a cancer. And he's been a cancer everywhere he's gone. But he is a super talent. As Allen Iverson has come out and said that he has the best crossover he's ever seen. And Allen Iverson was compared to be the best ball handler in NBA history. Looking at this move, what does this tell me about the Brooklyn Nets? What it tells me is they're rebuilding. Billy King did this same exact thing when he traded for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and the Jet. They were there for two years. They were washed up players. And they gave the Boston Celtics not one, not two, not three, not four, but five first-round draft picks to the lonely Boston Celtics. And what did they get out of those? They got Jalen Brown and an MVP candidate this year, Jason Tatum. They're two superstars out of those five first-round draft picks. They got two superstars, which is a lot out of three first-round draft picks. Usually, you'd be lucky to get one out of five. You get two. The Brooklyn Nets and Billy King set the team back. Then they brought Sean Marks in. And Sean Marks, they bring in Karis LeVert, brings in Spencer Dinwiddie. He's a journeyman, jumped a couple of teams before. He settled in with the Brooklyn Nets and figured it out because of the coach, who, by the way, was run out by Kyrie Irving. Kenny Atkinson. (laughs) Exactly. Where's Kenny Atkinson now? He's the assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors. This Brooklyn Nets team has been an absolute joke. And by the way, after they brought Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in, They make a trade for James Harden. And that trade cost the Nets four first-round draft picks, which now become lottery picks because this team is going to be horrible.
Bowl for the next five seasons. James Harden had it right. He was the smartest one out of all of them. As soon as he realized this team was a debacle, he said, trade me. He goes to the 76ers. I don't know if they win a championship because they have Doc Rivers coaching them, but nevertheless, he goes to a better organization, a better run organization, and then Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are squandering with Ben Simmons. They're paying Ben Simmons $38 million a year, and they were playing pretty well. Ben Simmons was playing well this year. He wasn't scoring double-digit points, but at least he was playing well Defensively, he was rebounding, he was passing, he was ball handling, he was doing everything that they needed him to do. And then Kyrie Irving is gone. Now Kevin Durant is gone. And when you look at the roster right now, their starting lineup from the beginning of the season, when you had two of the best players at their positions, and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant averaged about 60 points a game, are now playing for the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. And you have to show for this, Mikael Bridges, good player, he's not Kyrie Irving, and he's not Kevin Durant. Cam Johnson, who lost his starting job, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Dorian Finney-Smith. I applaud the Brooklyn Nets on this trade. Wonderful. You got five first-round draft picks, which, by the way, are not lottery picks. They're going to be late first-round draft picks, which means nothing. I don't want to hear from anybody say, well, they could trade up. Nobody's going to want the 27th and 28th pick, even if you have a lottery pick. You're not going to have a lottery pick for the next couple of years. It doesn't benefit the Brooklyn Nets right now. You can't sell me that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be fine. And Sean Marks being applauded on these trades are ridiculous. I'll applaud them for something else. Congratulations, Brooklyn, on having the worst big three experiment of all time. It's a joke. We've seen some other bad ones that haven't worked, but nothing to the level of this because they didn't even crack the Eastern Conference Finals. How many times did everybody make fun of the Knicks because they couldn't land Kyrie Irving, they couldn't land Kevin Durant, and then when James Harden was traded, everybody was like, oh my God, this is the best team we've seen since the OKC Thunder Mm -hmm. when they had Russell Westbrook. This might even be better. And what happens? They don't even sniff the finals. I found it funny what you said earlier. James Harden was the smartest of those big three. When that is the case, that is saying a lot about your team. When James Harden, who is not exactly the brightest mind either, is a smart one in comparison to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And it just shows that all these egos working at once, you just never know how fragile NBA relationships can be. Look at the Lakers when they brought in Steve Nash and Dwight Howard to go along with Kobe. What happened to that team two years later? Gone. Same kind of thing here. And a lot worse, a lot more drama, and a lot higher expectations Speaking of Lakers, look who they bring back. Oh, my God. They bring back the same guy they traded away when Magic Johnson was there, D'Angelo Russell. They're another joke of an organization. Right. The the Western Conference version of the Nets. A joke. Except they have LeBron, so it's a little more stable, but still. They were after Randall last year. Another player Magic Johnson decided to part ways with. It's a joke. That's what happens when you have all these egos that try to think they control everything and try to be like a LeBron James. LeBron James is the only guy that's had this kind of (laughs) philosophy and has been able to have it work in the NBA where you try to go all in on a big three and then you just try to do veteran minimum contracts for everything else. They tried this approach two years ago when they brought in the likes of Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and Patty Mills and it just didn't work. Now all of a sudden they have no draft picks. What do you have to do now? You got to trade Kyrie Irving because he screwed the Nets for where they were this season. Demanded a trade because the Nets were not want to give him this super max contract highest paid player in the NBA that he thinks he deserves for whatever reason. And a couple days later Kevin Durant finally gets to go to the home that he wants in the Phoenix Suns. So good job Brooklyn. Hope you could have a new GM that could draft well with those late first round picks. A loaded Phoenix Suns. Oh, yeah. When Kevin Durant comes and he actually starts to play after the All-Star break, this is a loaded starting lineup. They didn't have to trade Aiton, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Look at that lineup. 
That lineup is the best in basketball. But going back to the Mavericks, Luka Doncic has played with only one player that averaged 20 or more points per game, and that was Kristaps Porzingis with the New York Knicks. In the playoffs, Luka Doncic averages 32.5 points per game, 6.4 assists per game, and 9.1 rebounds per game. This guy is a playoff baller. So is Kyrie Irving, 23 points per game and 4.8 assists a game and 3.7 rebounds a game. Another guy that demands the ball in the playoffs. How does this work? Now, we know what head coach Jason Kidd said, that the Mavericks are still Luka's team. But for how long? Kyrie Irving has never, ever let anybody believe that that was their team. Even when LeBron James was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, when LeBron went back to Cleveland, Kyrie always thought he was the best player on that team. When LeBron decided to part ways, and Kyrie decided to part ways to go to Boston, and he became the leader of Boston, what did Kyrie say? I didn't realize what it took to be a leader. Now I respect LeBron even more. He was never a leader. He can't be a leader. He's a leader for men. He's more like a leader for children. I don't know. What do you want your children to be taught by Kyrie Irving? If he thinks the earth is flat, maybe he could teach kids that. Maybe every single planet is flat. Maybe Kyrie Irving needs to be enrolled in an elementary school science class and they could take a field trip to a space center. (laughs) If there's anybody that could help Kyrie Irving and show him the right path, it's Jason Kidd. A guy that he idolized when he was a kid. Why he decided to go to the Nets and not the Knicks was because of Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd is the head coach over there. Now, the question is, is he going to be able to control him? And Spencer Dinwiddie, who had a very good season, averaged about 17.7 points per game, 5.3 assists per game, and 3 Point one rebounds a game. He is not Kyrie Irving. But the Nets should have never traded him a while ago. And that had a lot to do with Kyrie Irving. Everything that's happened to this organization, all the mistakes that this organization made was because of Kyrie Irving. And this is what happens when you let the players get involved too much. LeBron James is the only one that makes this kind of philosophy work. Yeah, you want to say Kevin Durant going to Golden State. Fine. But they also home grew their team. And they also had decent depth. They didn't have to trade all their depth away to get these extra guys. Get James Harden. They didn't have to trade all their first round picks. The Raptors traded for Kawhi when they had a pretty finished team. The Bucks with Giannis. That was a homegrown team. This kind of philosophy that the Nets tried is not working in the NBA because LeBron is the only one that can get it to work. If anybody thinks that the Nets won this Kevin Durant trade, they're ridiculous. Oh, God. Yeah, Mikel Bridges is a good player. Great defensive player. Can probably give you about 14 points. He's a starter. Give you about eight or nine rebounds. He's a good two-way player. I would love Mikel Bridges on the New York Knicks. Another Villanova guy. Very well respected around the league. I would love him. But he's not worth Kevin Durant. Cam Johnson maybe plays about 15 minutes. This guy is not a starter on a basketball team. He's a good bench player. And four first-round draft picks and a second pick to be swapped. These first-round draft picks are late first-round draft picks. This Phoenix Suns team for the next four to five years are a playoff-bound team. So how do they expect to get back what they lost with the James Harden trade? DeAndre Ayton was the guy I thought the Nets should have went after. At least they would have brought back a star. DeAndre Ayton was not required to be traded, being that players that have less than six years in the league can take up to 25% of your team's salary cap. Next year in the offseason, they would have to move one of their max players and contracts to keep Kevin Durant for the remainder of his deal. The Suns team offense was ranked 21st in the NBA before the trade, averaging 120. 
12.7 points per game. Durant averaged 29.7 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 5.3 assists a game, shooting about 55% field goal percentage and 37% behind the three. Devin Booker is the only scorer on the Suns that averaged 20 or more points per game, averaging 26.8. Chris Paul has his lowest overall scoring total in his career, averaging 13.6, but averaging 8.7 assists per game. When you have a guy like Ben Simmons making over $30 million, this sets this team back. Who wants to play with Ben Simmons? If you ask 10 NBA superstars right now, would you go to Brooklyn and play with Ben Simmons? I would bet you 10 out of 10 would say no. Nobody wanted to play with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. Doc Rivers didn't even want him to practice on the court. I'm not saying Ben Simmons isn't a talent. He never wanted to learn how to shoot when he came into the NBA. A tremendous talent. Some people said was going to be the next LeBron James with his size and his ability. He never transitioned. LeBron wasn't a good shooter when he came into the NBA. He learned how to shoot. He practiced the craft. That's how he became the king. Ben Simmons is a deer, a giraffe, a zebra. You even saw in some playoff games him pass up easy shots. And you, you see I'm naming him as animals because he is the prey. He's not the predator. At this point, he's probably roadkill. Kevin Durant, he's a fantastic player. Does he make Phoenix better? Absolutely does. Does he make Phoenix a championship contender? Not only are they a championship contender, they're probably now the favorites of coming out of the West and winning the whole thing. They're my pick at the start of the season to win it all, and this just helps it. Boost them up, because it was Denver, I thought. I mean, with their talent, the way Murray is playing, and Porter's playing, and Jokic. I don't know if those three guys could compete against this starting lineup. This is a really deep lineup. And they have a good bench, too. Even losing Cam Johnson or Mikel Bridges, they still have a good bench and very well coached. Who won? Yeah, the Mavericks might have gotten the player that they wanted. Are they going to give him a super max contract? Why would Mark Cuban want to pay this anti-Semitic idiot that kind of money? Why? To say that he was right? As a matter of fact, when he was introduced in Dallas as a Maverick, he was holding up his jersey. And when somebody asked him about the anti-Semitic view, he went up there and said that his apology wasn't a real apology. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to take back my apology because that's what I believe. So even when the Brooklyn Nets sat him out for two weeks and suspended him, not paying him, and him apologizing to the fans, to every Jew in the world, this man went back on his apology and pretty much gave him the finger. He's a despicable basketball player. It's not right what he did. It's not right who he is as a player. And it's a joke. And the Nets are a joke. They're a clown show. And that organization needs to change quickly. Ownership needs to change the GM and start over again. And now you set your team back for another seven years. And don't do this again. Stop going after free agents, overpaid free agents to come to your organization that are prima donnas. Both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are prima donnas. They did not belong here. They should have kept James Harden. If you were to ask me who they should have kept out of the three, James Harden would have stayed there. I think he would have stayed there and he would have played. We've seen what he did with Houston with no talent. Why couldn't James Harden do it here with Brooklyn? Triple double. This guy was an MVP, but they let him go. They could have chose between him and Kyrie Irving. I would have chose James Harden because at least he's a team player. He's not a me player. The New York Knicks miss out on Zach Levine. There were stories coming out that Chicago wanted four first-round draft picks, Obi Toppin and Quentin Grimes. They are not 
adding Grimes in any trade. That was one of the reasons why they didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell. They lost out on Zach Levine, but they land a pretty good player in Josh Hart from the Portland Trailblazers for Cam Reddish in a first-round draft pick. So shout-out to the Knicks. They got a good player, a player that can come off the bench, maybe even start if there are injuries or maybe matchups, and defend multiple positions and do what he does best at his position, at his size, at his position. He is the best rebounder at his position in the NBA. Yeah, and you're getting a lot of good perimeter defense, too, from a guy like Josh Hart. Good physicality, good size, and chemistry with Jalen Brunson, Villanova national champions. Alumni. Two out of three years, so they know each other very well. And even if they don't play collectively on the court together, Jalen Brunson, who's already been a great leadership guy for the Knicks all year, is definitely going to be fueled by this even more. And you look at the way he played last night, having 30 points, and it was absolutely clinical in that first quarter. And even though they lost that game against the Sixers, he was fantastic. And you definitely could see the spark. He looked good, and hopefully Josh Hart gives him a spark. That's what we want to see as a New York Knicks fan. When we come back, we've got some NHL conversation as the New York Rangers land their guy, Vladimir Tarasenko, and a defenseman, Nico Mikola, and the New York Islanders signed their big trade piece in Bo Horvat to a $68 million contract as Lou Lamorello speaks up and says some stupid things. So when we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. The content, the guests, all the hot topics in sports. Check us out, the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursday at 9 p.m. We are the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Now, if you're a Ranger fan, you should be very excited. From New York, the five boroughs, and Long Island, all you guys wearing those Panarin jerseys, those Zabitijad jerseys, that Shostarkin jersey, now you have another jersey. As the New York Rangers trade for a winger to play on a line that could be one of the better lines in the NHL. As Vladimir Tarasenko, Stanley Cup champion Vladimir Tarasenko, scored his first goal as a New York Ranger in his debut, gets traded and defenseman Nico Mikola from the Blues to the Rangers for a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, winger Sam Blade, and defenseman prospect Stuart Skinner. They won this trade, no matter what happens, because they gave up, really, a first-round draft pick. That's it. Now, that first-round draft pick in the future could turn out to be a fantastic player. I doubt it, but they are renting out Tarasenko. We don't know what Tarasenko is going to decide to do in the offseason. He's 31 years old. Still has a lot of hockey left. The Rangers are not going to have the extensive money that he is going to want in the offseason. So they're probably going to lose him. But this guy is as good as any playoff goal scorer we've seen in the last five years. He's a winner. They're going to have a guy that takes the pressure and rides with it. So this was a good move for the New York Rangers. And they had a defenseman, a 6'4", 215-pound defenseman. He's big. He can play with Schneider. He can hit. The Rangers needed to add somebody. So this benefits the Rangers in every kind of way. And it goes against all their trends, too, of what we've seen. We've seen them trade a lot for older defensemen or defensemen that are only offensive defensemen. That's what I was worried about last week when I was talking about Jacob Chitrin. That's usually a target they would end up going for. But they end up getting a, a nice defensive defenseman with McCullough to go along with Tarasenko. And they got the Blues to take on half of Tarasenko's salary for this year. He's making $7.5 million, and the Rangers now only have to pay him $3.75. Yes, they'll have to 
to re-sign him in the offseason, but he's not going to get the contract that he got initially when he signed with the Blues. So I can't imagine the Rangers still are going to have 17 to $20 million in salary cap. But either way, even if they do end up losing him, even if it's just a rental, this is an absolute bargain. And you don't see the Rangers get bargains very often. Outside of the Zibanejad for Stepan swap in 2017, when they just took advantage of Ottawa's terrible front office, the Rangers, when they trade for a player, they trade a lot. You talk about Rick Nash, and that's why they ended up rebuilding kind of slower. It took them three, four years to get back into contention after that. They're still one of the youngest teams in the NHL. No, and that's the other good part I like about this, too. They can put the kids back together safely now. You saw them have a lot of trouble, especially Lafreniere this year, where they're trying to move up into the top six. Philip Hedl and Capo Caco have played a lot better now. But again, the kid line that played so well in the playoffs could play consistently together again because Vladimir Tarasenko could play consistently either that first or second line wing spot. They don't have to put in Jimmy VC or Vitaly Kratzov. Same thing, I think, with the power play with the Rangers are in the middle of the pack right now. And he provides that playoff experience that the Rangers can definitely get to the next level. And because they're only paying half the salary, they don't even have to necessarily be done yet trading. They can still trade for another forward, maybe a veteran center. The Rangers will have to re-sign Alexis Lafaniere, Philip Edel. He's a fantastic player as well. I think he's the player I sign. Alexis Lafaniere, I would try to trade him. I just don't know if he fits here with the New York Rangers. Julian Gauthier and former first-round pick Vitaly Kratzoff are also restricted free agents, so they're not going to be able to sign all these guys. They're going to have to trade or let these guys go. And Lafaniere has been the worst out of all of them. He was the number one pick two years ago. And look what he's turned out to be. I think you could get something back for him. I don't know how much you can get back for him, but right now, he just doesn't have it. Trade him to another team. Let him figure it out. Yeah, he could turn into a star, but at least he gets something back for him before you decide to part ways with him. The Blues possessed the puck over 52% of the time every season that Tarasenko has played over 75 games, including 60% in both the 2017 and 2018 season, their Stanley Cup championship year. Tarasenko in the playoffs has 41 goals, 19 assists in his career, scoring on 14.6% of his shots in the Blues Stanley Cup year. Tarasenko had 11 goals and led the NHL playoffs with 90 shots on goal. Defenseman Nicole Mikola, he's 26 years old. Mikola has 96 hits and 68 blocks shots this season. So he's a piece that they wanted to add that can do the defensive things they needed defensemen to do. I believe Tarasenko was the piece they needed offensively, but he is only going to be as a rented player. He will be gone next year because of all the guys they have to sign. This guy, Mikola, he is going to be here for the future. This guy is 26 years old. They can build him as a third or second line defenseman. He's a nice player. They had issues with veteran defensemen, guys that can't skate, get traded for over the years, or guys that are too offensive, guys like Keith Yandel, who they spent a lot for, Shattenkirk that didn't work out, and finally they've decided to go out after a younger guy too in this same trade. So they ended up getting good value rather than having to spend at a completely separate trade for a defenseman of that young type of guy. And they say with a defensive defenseman this time. He's not going to give you much. I think he only has three assists, no goals on the season, Nicola, but provides good steady defense, second, third pairing type defense. And on a Blues team that's regressed defensively a lot this year, guys like Petrangelo, Bo Meester, Vince Dunn being gone from their Stanley Cup team. Nicola has still been one of their few bright spots on that defense. Islanders signed Bo Horvat, eight years, $68 million overall, $8.5 million. It's a nice contract. This kid is going to be a great player for the future for the New York Islanders. I don't know where this team is going. Losing against Vancouver the other day when they had a 4-3 lead going into third period, that was a horrible loss for them. You let the Vancouver Canucks, after they lose their captain to your team, let the Vancouver Canucks come back in the game and score three goals in the third period. The Islanders in the beginning of the season were one of the best third period teams in the NHL. They have become one of the worst third period teams in the NHL. Horvat, $8.5 million average annual value is 
39th in the entire NHL, which is a good move and a good deal for a star player. That is a good play for Lou Lamorello. The NHL overall salary cap is expected to go up $4 million from this season, which is currently at $82.5 million per team. Lou Lamorello said about this contract, all I can tell you is it's too long and it's too much money. Lou Lamorello said with a smile. So I don't know if he's joking, but if you're a superstar player, you're a star player, and you just sign with this team, do you want to hear your GM say that? Even if it was funny, would you like that? I wouldn't. Horvat has a full no-trade clause the first four years and then will convert to 16-team non-trade clause within the last four years of his contract. That means he will pick 16 teams that he wants to play for if the Islanders want to trade him, and they have to trade him to one of those 16 teams. To put that in that contract kind of scares me. Depending on how much the overall salary cap per team raises, the Islanders are expected to have 11 to 14 million of cap space going into the offseason after this extension. Horvat scored his first goal as an Islander in the 4-0 win over the Seattle Kraken Tuesday night. And then he scored again. The Kraken allowing Bo Horvat and Tarasenko to score. <laughs> against his former team, Vancouver. He would add two goals in that game if one wasn't waved off because Anders Lee was pushed into the goaltender, which by the way, it was not goaltending interference. The NHL has their own rules, but the Islanders get their start. Now, they need to add another piece or two. Lou Lamorello already came out and said that the next six to seven games is going to make him decide if they're buyers or sellers. I think they still should be sellers. They're not winning a championship this year. They don't have it this year. There's something missing. Maybe it's the fourth line. It's not as good. It's not productive like it has been over the years, but they're not going to win. I don't believe both New York teams are going to win, even with Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't think the Rangers are winning Stanley Cup. I don't think they're good enough. Not in that Eastern Conference. And I don't think the Islanders are good enough. And I think the Islanders need to decide what they are as an organization now. You've got some pieces. Bo Horvat is a good piece. Barzell is a good piece. Sorokin is a good piece. Pelic is a good piece. Dobson is a good piece. But there are bad pieces on this team. Casey Sezikis, he's old. They signed him. He's not a good piece. Matty Martin, not a good piece. Clutterbuck, not a good piece. Bailey, not a good piece. <laughs> Pretty much unmovable. <laughs> a little bit more than half of these players are not good pieces to build around this organization. And two pieces I think they should try to move. Varlamov, for one, because there's a lot of teams that still need goaltending. They're going to move him. They might take the remainder of his $6.5 million if they really think that team can win a Stanley Cup, especially in the Western Conference. There's a lot of teams that definitely lack goaltending. Even if he's like a 1A, 1B type, I would definitely explore that. And then the other one is Scott Mayfield, who's making $3 million. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. The Islanders have enough young defense where I think they could be able to get away with it, even with the injuries they've had this year with Pelic. Now he's come back and they could go back to a little more of a full lineup with the defense. And Robin Salo should be playing more, too. Absolutely. The fact that he's not playing right now with the NHL team and he's in the AHL makes no sense. And they have to decide what they're doing with some of these young guys. Because if Mayfield's gone, you have to resign Ajo. Because they have some good young defensemen coming up in their farm system for the next couple of years. But it's going to take at least three years for these guys to come up. So they need to make sure that this defense is secure. This defense has not played well this year. They've given up a lot of grade-A scoring chances this year, which is very bizarre for them. I'm not going to blame Lambert, but 
but Lambert is trying to open up the offense, and I think that's a bad way of pushing these players to move forward. They have been known to be a defensive team, and now you have a goaltender. If you could keep most of these teams down by two goals and you score three, you win the majority of your games. I don't know what they're doing right now. Giving up six goals against a Vancouver Canuck team that lost their best player, that was a bad loss for the Islanders. And they have a really wicked schedule coming up. they got to play Boston and Pittsburgh back-to-back games. This isn't good. And, and you have the Buffalo Sabres right now that have five games in hand on you, and they're only four points behind you. Washington has one game in hand on you, and they're three points ahead of you. You have Pittsburgh that has three games at hand on you. I would say Washington's probably the easiest to catch right now. <laughs> the Islanders have played more games in the Metropolitan Division, and they're five spots away from making the playoffs. If I were Lou Lamorella, I'd be a seller. I'd trade off some of these pieces. You could trade Palmieri. Somebody will take Palmieri. He's a good playoff player. Brock Nelson right now, the way he's playing, I understand he's a talented player. Move him. You could get a lot for Brock Nelson right now. A center that could score, could pass, could do all those things. He's accurate, as you saw what he did in the All-Star game. You can get something good back for a guy like Brock Nelson. J.P. Pajot, a face-off winner. You can move on from J.P. Pajot and his contract. Get some young players to fill in certain spots and move forward from J.P. Pajot. There's a lot of players that teams would be interested in, and I think the Islanders should be sellers. Absolutely. When we come back, some NFL conversation as the Raiders now betting favorites to get Aaron Rodgers. Sauce Garner and Garrett Wilson win Rookie of the Year. Brian Dable is Coach of the Year. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the Super Bowl as Super Bowl 57 is a day away when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. Check out the Sports Lounge, which is fantastic, with me and Speedy every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. The Super Bowl's right here. We will have the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Patrick Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts. It is going to be a game, man. We will get into that in just a few moments, but stories coming out of Raiderville, or Josh McDanielville, now betting favorites of landing Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to tell you why this is just a story. Aaron Rodgers is nowhere to be found. He's hanging out in another country, enjoying himself, not even thinking about the Super Bowl, not even thinking about where he is going to go in the offseason. As far as he's concerned, he is a Green Bay Packer right now. For anybody to think the betting favorites to get him are the Raiders. Why? Because his agent said that. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers came out on the Pat McAfee show and said, it seems like it's probably going to be the Raiders because they're the most interested. That doesn't mean anything. When a team is quiet, a.k.a. the New York Jets, and the players are speaking for the GM, trying to pitch Aaron Rodgers to come and play for them. The Sauce Garners of the world. The Garrett Wilsons of the world. The Brees Halls of the world. Defensive linemen like Quinn Williams and C.J. Mosley. Everybody is speaking out trying to get Aaron Rodgers to come and play in New York. Does that mean that Aaron Rodgers is flat out decided he's going to play for the Raiders? Why? Because his ex-wide receiver who decided to part ways and ditch him in Green Bay to go and play with his best friend in Derek Carr, who's no longer with him, he's down in Louisiana talking to the Saints. 
All of a sudden, he's just going to go and play for the Raiders? Why? Because he owns a house in Vegas? What are they, nuts? I don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to decide to do. He could retire. Maybe he wants to be the host of Jeopardy. Maybe he wants to be a director. What I do know is the Raiders are not the only team interested in Aaron Rodgers. The Jets are definitely going to be out there looking for a veteran quarterback to play in front of Zach Wilson. I don't care about Mike White going to the L.A. Rams. There's stories coming out. That's where he's going. Joe Flacco probably retiring in the offseason. Who cares? No offense to Joe or Zach Wilson sitting the bench. But for the Raiders and whoever's writing these stories, that's a foregone conclusion. That's where he's going. is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, it's also ridiculous that we're hearing that Derek Carr is practically sealed and delivered to the Saints, who, by the way, is over the salary cap by $57 million. There is no way they can sign this guy unless they trade pieces which they can't do that until the offseason and after a week after the Super Bowl. So, yes, it might be an agreement with the Raiders and the Saints that they're going to trade for Derek Carr, but he has the no-trade clause. He could say, no, I don't want to go there. I believe Derek Carr is going to do everything he can to screw the Raiders. I don't think he wants to be traded. I think he wants to go on his own recognizance. And after what the Raiders did to him and sitting him out the last two games, why not? He holds everything because he has the no-trade clause. I know DraftKings have the Raiders betting favorites in the Jets third. He's not going back to the Green Bay Packers. And I know what he said at Pebble Beach. What he's hearing, it's the Raiders. I don't know if that's all true. Devontae Adams saying that he's going to move on the same block as him. He owns a house. Why would he move on the same block as him? That's just stupidity. There's a deadline to make this move for Rodgers just as much as there's a deadline to make the move for Derek Carr. I think these guys are connected because whatever happens to Rodgers, Carr will probably be the next one out. I think Rodgers will go first, and then you're going to see Carr be traded. Free agency, whatever. If Rodgers ends up going first, which would be very interesting, the Raiders would probably have to trade a lot more away in order to do it, which really puts them in a tough predicament with Derek Carr because then you're not going to be able to trade him as easily either because the Raiders... They're not going to trade him. They're to release him. Yeah, it seems that way at this point because the Raiders have to trade him four days after the Super Bowl, which it's going to be very hard for them to do. If they already get Aaron Rodgers, you're essentially saying you have to go anyway. That's going to drop the trade value tremendous and also going to make it desperate on both ends to make it work too. So the Raiders really have to play their cards right here to make sure that they can find a good trade partner with Derek Carr in the perfect time. Now, you mentioned the Saints. It's going to be very hard for the Saints because they're going to have to trade multiple good players on that team in order to do it. The cap is going up. Right. Unless the Raiders take one or two of those players back in the deal and they don't get any draft picks, that would be the only way to do it. Now, are you going to do that without knowing that you're going to get Aaron Rodgers? So let's take Demario Davis, for example, and Cam Jordan, because those are two big contracts on the Saints defense, which the Raiders definitely could use. They need a lot of help on their defense. Are the Raiders going to do that without knowing who your quarterback's going to be? Just because you trade for those players on the Saints, does that mean you're also going to get Aaron Rodgers too? What if the Jets all of a sudden, after the Saints trade for Derek Carr, swoop in and get Aaron Rodgers, then the Raiders are left with nothing. So they're really just in a tough predicament it's going to be tough for the Saints to be able to pull that kind of thing off. Now, that being said, the Raiders are in Las Vegas. It's a flashy move for them to try to go after Aaron Rodgers to make a sense. I could see them still overspending for Aaron Rodgers and doing it. Now, the Packers are sticky two first-round picks. You're not going to get that from the Jets. Who knows? Maybe the Raiders, Dave Ziegler, is dumb enough 
to do that. As far as the Jets, Joe Douglas is going to get Aaron Rodgers at his value. I don't think they're going to overspend for him. If they end up doing it, it'll probably be because of ownership at that point. Woody Johnson sticking his nose in this kind of deal and trying to get the flashy quarterback. But Joe Douglas is not going to do anything reckless where he's going to say, all right, we're going to go trade for Aaron Rodgers. Yes, the Jets are seeming like they're a quarterback away, but they still definitely have other factors they have to factor into. Michael Strahan says that Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets would be the missing piece and he will thrive in New York. And Michael Strahan knows about thriving as he was a superstar with the New York Giants and winning a Super Bowl with them and being, at one point, the leader in sacks in a season. And a Hall of Famer, by the way. Looking at Aaron Rodgers right now, he's the guy that the Jets want. He's the guy that they're gunning for. They bring in Nathaniel Hackett. It makes sense. Nathaniel Hackett knows the offense and knows that he needs a quarterback that can understand the offense in the terminology on how to get these guys to play in this offense. So they're going to do whatever it takes to bring Aaron Rodgers in because Aaron Rodgers knows this offense behind the back of his hands. It makes a lot of sense why the Jets are going to go all in on Aaron Rodgers, but if they can't land him or they don't want to give up the stock that they're looking for as far as the Green Bay Packers are, maybe the New York Jets make that drive for Derek Carr. Don't lose Derek because of your stubbornness. I think they really need to be smart here because they could lose out on both of them. And then you're in a position where you're going to have to overspend on Lamar Jackson if Lamar becomes available or maybe make a move for Kyler Murray. He could become available. If you do that, that means Zach will Wilson is off that team because you cannot bring Zach Wilson back when you're bringing in a young quarterback that just got a huge contract last offseason. That might be part of the deal. It's a very interesting thing where the Jets need to decide on where their position is going to lead them in the future. Sauce and Garrett Wilson win Rookie of the Year. These two guys have been fantastic, and they're going to be the cornerstone of the defense and the offense moving forward for the future of this organization. If the Jets could find a quarterback, they can get them the ball. Sauce doesn't need to get the ball because he already goes after. If he's even thrown at. Yeah. Garrett Wilson is a beast. And he had 1,100 yards this year without a number one quarterback. He had number twos and number threes throwing him the ball. To have those numbers and put up the numbers that he did this year with no quarterback is sensational. The question is, who are they going to bring in that's going to get him? Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, even if Corey Davis comes back or doesn't come back. Conklin and those guys. Because they have a ton of of weapons. More weapons than we've seen the Jets have in a very long time. They need to find somebody that could deliver the ball, but congratulations to Sauce and, and Garrett Wilson. It was a fantastic year. The Jets were 7-4 and four at one point and then lost six games in a row and really fell apart, but one of the main reasons why this team has a lot to be excited about is these two players. And both are very well deserving, too. Sauce had the best year of a corner that a rookie has ever, ever had. And Garrett Wilson, like you said, with backup quarterbacks pretty much all season long, a rotation of four different quarterbacks over the course of the year with almost 1,200 yards is absolutely insane, and he was pretty consistent in those games, too, even amidst all those bad quarterback play, and especially when Brees Hall went down. He really got a load of those yards playing well when he got a lot of the attention, too. And then, ladies and gentlemen, congratulations to Brian Dable. Fantastic, fantastic year, and coach of the year. I believe, out of all the coaches, Doug Peterson and Kyle Shanahan, he was the best coach. And by the way, those two other guys shouldn't have even been on that list. There were other guys that had fantastic years. Why why wasn't Nick Sirianni on that list? Why wasn't Andy Reid on that list? That's what I want to know. Those two guys were 14 and 3. 14 and 3, and they were the best 
in their divisions and statistically are some of the best teams in the NFL. How does that possibly go unnoticed? I don't know. From the same logic, too, that Dable ended up winning it for, why wasn't Pete Carroll on there, too? Seattle had no expectations this year, and they had a pretty hard schedule. Brian Dable had a fantastic year. Nine wins, knockoff Minnesota in the first round in the wild card game, the number one seed in an NFC North. I mean, it's not something to brag about. Nevertheless, they knocked off the Vikings. They lost against Philadelphia that's heading to the Super Bowl right now and knocked off the 49ers. So that was a fantastic year. You had no number one wide receivers. You didn't have a number two wide receiver. And your running game was really Saquon Barkley and that's it. And the offensive line was deteriorated. Their defense was on and off all season long. This is a team that didn't have that much talent, but Dable is a great coach. He deserves all the credit in the world and congratulations to him for the successful season that he had. And the Giants have been looking for that team culture shift too for a while because the Giants were always very stagnant in their ways. Their ownership wanted their own guys. Guys that had ties with the Giants, and finally they broke out and said, we're not doing that anymore. We need a more modern identity. And after Tom Coughlin, that whole debacle in 2015 where he left the team, and they've been going through all these retread coaches or all these like random hires, Joe Judge, Ben McAdoo, like this is finally a modern hire, a guy that works well with quarterbacks, like you said with Josh Allen, really growing his game, and did so this year with Daniel Jones, where he was less turnover prone this year amidst having no receivers, a below average offensive line outside of Andrew Thomas, and a guy that's really good in close games, too. The Giants won a lot of these games in the fourth quarter. Daniel Jones made clutch plays when he needed to, too. And that's a lot on coaching for what he'd done this year. Was the schedule easy? Yeah, it was. NFC East had the most favorable matchups of everybody, but still... The Giants were not supposed to be there. I thought they were a bottom eight roster coming into the season. They're better than that now, but they're still kind of below average overall. But what they do have is great coaching. Hopefully they're able to keep a lot of the assistants too. Kafka and Wink Martindale, who might get a coaching job somewhere else. But Brian Dable, definitely deserving. Our preview for Super Bowl 57, it could go both ways. What I see this game to be is how healthy is Patrick Mahomes? Is he 80%, 85%, or is he 70 75%? If he's 70 75%, This defense is going to eat him up alive. They're going to make him make plays in the pocket. Patrick Mahomes can play in the pocket, but he's better outside of the pocket, using his legs, giving his team and his players the time to run down the field and get open so he can throw the ball down the field with his precision and his arm strength. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to be 100%. I don't know if Jalen Hurts is 100% healthy with his shoulder. So it's really going to be the battle of two teams, two coaches, two organizations that know both coaches very, very well, including Kansas City and Andy Reid with the Philadelphia Eagles, as we call this the Andy Reid Bowl. Who would have thought that Andy Reid... After he leaves the Philadelphia Eagles about 10 years ago, is coaching against his former team in a Super Bowl. The Eagles have gone through the dark days of Chip Kelly since then. Then they brought in Doug Peterson, they win a Super Bowl of their own, and then five years later, they're back in with a completely different coach. Which is Andy Reid's offensive coordinator when he was there. And now they went, and now they're back in the Super Bowl with a different coach, Nick Sirianni, a second year guy, and a roster that's a a lot of new players. Fantastic on defense, especially. They're really loaded, pretty much, besides the strong safety spot in a lot of their slot areas, they're loaded pretty much everywhere else right now. Probably the deepest defensive line I've ever seen, too, especially on the interior. And the Chiefs are going to be very tested in this game. This is one of the best battles in the trenches, too. But both those offensive lines, both those defensive lines, both being top five in the league this season. We'll see on the, how they game plan for these quarterback injuries, too. Jalen Hurts' running volume is going to be very key. How often will he run to counter those blitzes for Spagnuolo? And Patrick Mahomes, how good is that ankle? Will they be able to have him extend plays, roll out all game long? Not like we saw in the AFC Championship game where they 
they had him doing a lot more yards after the catch concepts with their wide receivers and with Kelsey in the beginning of the game, and then got it going in the second half of the game. It'll be interesting to see how healthy he really is. It's so interesting when you look at the quarterbacks. This is Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is one of the youngest quarterbacks to play in a Super Bowl. He really has the opportunity to really stamp his name throughout the Super Bowl histories of quarterbacks that we've seen year in and year out. This is going to be a fun Super Bowl. Now, the question is what team is going to show up and be able to control the ball in the running games? I think Kansas City has a good running game. But they're also playing a good defense that likes to stop the run. They have, like you said, interior defensive players like Jordan Davis and Cox and all these guys. Hassan Riddick who can get at you and also clog up the middle. And Adamic and Sue and Joseph and all the guys that they brought in here to do the things that they need them to do. So, so much depth, so much talent in the secondary. And they have a great running game in Philadelphia as well. So, when the Kansas City Chiefs are ranked 20th in stopping the run and the Philadelphia Eagles are fifth in a league on running the ball, what do you think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to try to do? They're going to try to run the ball right up the gut, right in their faces, and make them make a play which will open up the field for A.J. Brown and Smith. This is a very talented Philadelphia Eagle team. I don't know how much talent offensively the Kansas City Chiefs are as a team, especially going into a Super Bowl where there's a lot of injuries. Scantling, he's not 100% healthy. Tony is not 100% healthy. Juju Smith-Schuster is not 100% healthy. You're really going empty-handed in a game that everybody expects to be high-flying, great offenses. Not necessarily if Patrick Mahomes isn't 100% healthy or Jay. Jalen Hurts is 100% healthy. And the only thing I feel Philadelphia doesn't have the advantage in this game is coaching. And that's because Nick Sirianni has never coached in the Super Bowl. Andy Reid's been here a lot. He understands how to play in the championship games. This guy doesn't. So it might take him a year to figure it out. And they're going to be even better next year with the draft stock that they have and the money that they have. The rich get richer. It could go either way. But there's a lot of people that believe that this is Philadelphia's coming out party. This could be the franchise that beat for many, many years to come, not only in the NFC, but throughout the league. And it's not just Andy Reid, the assistant coaches too. Eric Bieniemy's fantastic, and Steve Spagnuolo has been one of the best defensive coordinators for a while and has Super Bowl experience with the Giants too in 2007. And the way he likes to blitz, if he tries to blitz against Jalen Hurts, he will lose. That is not a good move against probably the strongest quarterback in the league. He squats 600 pounds. How many players you think could squat 600 pounds in the league? He is strong, he can run, he's dangerous. And if he can throw the ball even a little bit, he's going to be even more dangerous. Patrick Mahomes, he needs to figure out how to get out of the pocket and make throws, even if he's not 100% healthy. If he could do that, Kansas City has a chance to win. If he doesn't, this is going to be a long night for Kansas City. Ladies and gentlemen, we do this every week. Final three for all pick of the year. 50 and a half is the over-under for Super Bowl 57. And like Errol's saying, it's going to be a close game. There's two things I like for the Chiefs in this matchup, though. One of which is Andy Reid, like you were saying, attacking those slot areas. If there's any weakness on their defense, it's maybe that slot corner area slash strong safety. And Canarius Tony, I think it's going to be an X factor in this game. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's going to do what Travis Kelsey does best. He might be the best receiving tight end of all time. And I also like their pass-catching running backs in this game. The offense and the defensive lines are kind of going to cancel out. I think the offensive talent for the Eagles is definitely
definitely going to strive against those Chiefs outside corners. But can the Eagles get their slot concepts going? I trust the Chiefs a little more. And like you were saying, I think the coaching just being there, I think that'll help in the fourth quarter. The Eagles have not been as battle-tested this season in terms of close games. The Chiefs have been. So I think the Chiefs will win it late. I'm going to take the Chiefs 27-24, barely on the over. Oh, I think this is going to be a running game. Sanders is going to play a big part in this game. Jalen Hurts, legs is going to play a big part in this game. I don't know what Patrick Mahomes is going to be, but I expect the Eagles to keep him in the pocket and make him make his throws, make his arm beat them. And with this secondary, what Darius Slay has done all year and what Johnson's done all year and Bradbury has done all year, I think this could be a big game for that secondary. I don't know what Kansas City is in their secondary against Jalen Hurts and this firepower that they have with A.J. Brown and Smith. I really trust that the Eagles have the most talent. I do trust Andy Reid with the bye week, but again, I don't know what Nick Sirianni is. And Sirianni in his first game in a Super Bowl, I expect him to show up and bring home another championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. Take it to the bank. I believe the Philadelphia Eagles will pull out the win. Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown. Miles Sanders scores two touchdowns. He has at least a 30-yard run in this game, and this running game runs all over the Kansas City Chiefs. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles 32-27. to It's going to be a fun one. It'll be close, but don't be surprised if it's rigged. Fourth quarter, Philadelphia has a 7 or 10 point lead, and then all of a sudden, they stop playing defense, and Patrick Mahomes starts ripping them apart in the open field, running on his feet. He's not limping, and he's doing everything that he keeps his team in, and he makes these unbelievable throws, and they win the game. And then, you will believe what Arian Foster said as the game is rigged. When we come back, we have Chaz and Mr. Mo joining us. No World Wide West. You must listen as we have some props and some bets for you for the Super Bowl as we have Money Line Mania when we come back on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Speedy, remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our stories. You can check out all our live shows, including Waking Bake every Every Saturday morning and the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. We have Chaz and Mo on tonight as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. You know what that sounds like, Chaz? The money train? That is the money train. This is Moe's Petey's first time back. It is the first time since the inaugural Moneyline Mania back in the divisional round last season. How does it feel? Second time caller now, first time listener. (laughs) Uh, I feel fantastic. I'm glad to be on. My honor. You have to be honored. I'm honored that you're on, and you're on for Super Bowl weekend, Super Bowl 57. We're happy to have you on, Mo. We haven't seen you in a while, and we're going to make some money tonight, are we not? I'm probably not the best person to ask. I lost my house this year betting on the games (laughs) and on the pitching. I had a pretty good year this year betting on the old 
called pigskin. I did not too bad enough that my wife hasn't left me yet. Speedy doesn't have a wife. Maybe, Mo, you can hook him up with one of your wife's girlfriends. I got her from Russia on this website, so I can send you <laughs> No, I'm good. Most websites, you get a referral fee. So if Speedy does hook up with a Russian chick of his own, Mo gets a kickback. Well, and the good news is she's got to stay three years to get the green card. I will not stay in Russia for any more than three hours the way that it's going on in their country right now. I was lucky. When I met my wife, it was love at first sight, and I was like, ooh, this is a girl I could see myself spending the next four to seven years with. <laughs> Once you get through that green card period, everything changes. As long as you don't have to spend the money for the green card. As you're winning all your bets, maybe you'll have enough money to get a green card. All right, so why don't we get into it? Super Bowl 57. We have Kansas City and the Eagles, baby. I think it's going to start off slow, but I'm looking to see a, a high-scoring game, and I've picked an odd score to try to win some squares on a couple of these boards I'm playing. As young as Jalen Hurts is being with the seventh or eighth youngest starting quarterback in uh, the Super Bowl in NFL history, the kid hasn't played like it this year. One of my good friends is a beat writer for the Eagles, and that's one of the things he's really talked about. The big moments don't really bother Jalen Hurts. It's just another game to him. And now we all know that that's different going into the Super Bowl because you've got all the media appearances and you've got the elongated halftime. you got all the hype. You're the last two teams playing. But I think that plays big. When you look at the Eagles and the Chiefs, they've got two teams that have a lot of guys who've played in this game before. Guys who know what this feeling's like, how to prepare differently leading up to the game. They know how to prepare these younger guys for the long halftime because you go in down at half, you've got a long time to sit there and think about it. So having a lot of guys who've played in this game before is big for both teams. When you look at what happened last week with the AFC title game and the Bengals and Kansas City, and I believe the refs were on Kansas City's side in the fourth quarter. I don't know if it's rigged like Arian Forster says it is, but we've seen a lot of crazy things happen in the Super Bowl, a.k.a. the Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots, the final play of the game, which practically cost Seattle a championship. And how about the Atlanta Falcons against the Patriots when they had a 21-point lead, lead going into the fourth quarter and absolutely died down defensively in the second half in the fourth quarter. So I don't know what Arian Forster believes in, but maybe it's true. But going into this game, you have Patrick Mahomes. He isn't 100% healthy. He has a high ankle sprain. A lot of doctors has told me that a high ankle sprain takes three to four weeks. He played with the high ankle sprain, the AFC title game. He wasn't 100%. He was limping. It's been two weeks later. Is he 100%? I doubt it. I would say he's about 75%. So with your star player, your face of your franchise, and yes, Travis Kelsey's a great player. I don't know if I trust that Patrick Mahomes is going to stay up on his feet the whole game, and he is better outside of the pocket, running and throwing the ball and making plays outside of the pocket. If he's a pocket-present quarterback against these beasts, Hassan Reddick, Adamic and Sue was beasting against the 49ers, and that offensive line, one of the better offensive lines in the league, he is going to smell problems with the defense of Kansas City. Kansas City has had problems all year stopping the run and running quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, his shoulder isn't 100% healthy. I expect him to use his legs a lot in this game. Sanders and the three-headed monster that they have is going to be able to run against the 20th ranked rushing defense in all of football. I don't know if I trust that this Kansas City Chiefs team is going to be able to stop the running game of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the only way Kansas City wins this game is they keep the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands. Keep the ball away from Jalen Hurts running the ball and controlling the clock because they're going to try to run the ball, control the clock, and play defense. Their secondary is one of the best in the league. They've got a tremendous amount of talent on that defensive side of the ball. Now, there is some thoughts. Philadelphia, who did they beat this year? What top team did they beat? What did this defense beat? Every single top quarterback, a 500 team, they've had problems stopping those star quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott had a problem stopping him. Could they handle Patrick Mahomes even if 
he isn't at 100%. He's the best quarterback they've played this year. Is it Patrick Mahomes that we've seen all season? The all-around talent goes to the Eagles. The more talented overall team will win the game. It hasn't been like that the last couple of years in the Super Bowl, even though the Rams won last year. I think it's going to be Philadelphia. I think it'll be close, but I wouldn't be surprised if Philadelphia has a 7 or 10-point lead going in the fourth quarter and Kansas City automatically starts to dominate in the fourth quarter, a.k.a. Arian Foster. If you look at the two-quarterback situation, the Philadelphia quarterback, he's got some experience in a big game or two. That's big football. You're playing Alabama and Oklahoma football. Those aren't San Diego State. And what's the school by you guys? Stony Brook? Stony Brook. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Oklahoma and Alabama are pretty good. And then if I have any coach I want to know that his main weapon is maybe a liability and give him two weeks to prepare offensively, it's Andy Reid. The guy's a creative genius. How many shuffle passes to Kelsey did we see before everyone now starts trying to do it? And they don't do it as pretty. Sometimes they're even successful, but when Kelsey does that thing and he turns around and he just flips it to him for a touchdown, especially if you got Kelsey anytime touchdown, it's pretty good. And he will be one of my plays. I got a feeling this game is going to go the way a lot of games go, which is the first half is going to be some points are going to be scored, and then they do have a long halftime. But these are great coaches to make great adjustments. Guys, when I look at the six bets a game, you see the difference between these two teams and when they're in the second half, and more importantly, you see it on the road. On the road, these teams are not afraid to put it up early, but then at halftime, everything changes. Philly all year was going over in the first half and then just squatting in the second half. They didn't care about our wagers. They cared about winning the game, and they didn't care about how many points they scored doing it. So we saw them get 17 and 21 and 24 points in the first half and peter out in the second half. Well, part of that is the other team plays defense, too, so the second quarter would be the highest scoring quarter. So I'm not betting the first quarter. In the second quarter, I took the over and it is 14 and a half and I got it for plus 105. And then I'm betting the first half over in the morning. And I also have, there will be a defensive score or a special team. There's a prop that you can bet. Will there be a special teams or defensive score? And I believe it will be. And I got plus 267 on that one. That's like hitting a a two-teamer. We talk a lot about Patrick Mahomes' ankle, but we forget about Jalen Hurts' shoulder. The Eagles did not list him on the injury report, but he missed three games because of that. So if I'm Steve Spagnuolo, I'm trying to get Chris Jones to fall on that shoulder as much as I can. I want to knock Jalen Hurts out of the game and make it Gardner Minshew's game. But I think Mahomes is definitely going to throw for 300-plus yards. He's going to have to. They're going to stay close. I do like the Kelsey brothers. I'm taking the amount of snaps that Jason Kelsey makes. I'm taking the over on that and the over on Travis Kelsey's catches. The big one I like, if you're looking at a prop bet, is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Over three catches. He was huge for them in the AFC Championship game. I think Mahomes got a little more confidence in him. And I think that uh, you're going to see some big plays down the field to him. So the over on his catches at three seems like a no-brainer. I like the uh, over for the uh, National Anthem. Chris Stapleton, a very slow, methodical singer. I definitely believe Travis Kelsey will have a touchdown in this game, as he has every single playoff game we've seen this year. He's been unbelievable. It's very hard for a guy that big and that fast for a linebacker to defend him. There's no safeties on this Philadelphia talented team. Catches everything. If it's within his wingspan, which is pretty good, he catches it, Paul. I just think he's very, very talented, and I think he's the best tight end we've 
seen in such a very long time. I think he's the greatest tight end we've ever seen in the playoffs. Only Jerry Rice has better numbers than he does in the playoffs. And I expect him to have a touchdown in this game. I think Scantling, he will have a pretty good game too. A lot of it is the secondary Philadelphia. Darius Slay, he's fantastic. Johnson and even Bradbury. These are really good, talented corners. Maybe the best trio in football. They have done very, very well against top wide receivers. Look at the wide receivers that are playing this game. Juju Smith-Schuster, he's not 100% healthy. Tony, he's not 100% oh, oh, healthy. Oh. But I expect Sanders have a big game. I don't expect Kansas City to stop the running game of this Philadelphia Eagles team. This is their strength. They're ranked fifth running the ball. They're playing the number 20th rushing defense in all of football. And I don't care what Spagnola tries to do, blitzing. They're not going to stop this rushing attack. I believe Sanders could be the MVP if he could take over this game. I expect him to have at least two touchdowns. Expect him to be the high-profiled offensive talent that the Eagles are going to explode right behind the line of scrimmage. We haven't talked at all about A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. If Kansas City is going to key on trying to stop that running game, A.J. Brown, that trade cost his general manager in Tennessee the job. What a pickup that has been and what a great job that Howie Roseman and the front office of the Eagles have done this year. This team is going to be hard to beat. I like 33-28 the Eagles to win this game. But here's the thing to think about. We saw to where it got down to Christian McCaffrey for a while having to play quarterback in the NFC Championship game. If Patrick Mahomes goes down with his ankle injury, if Jalen Hurts bangs up the shoulder and you go to Gardner Minshew and Chad Henney, who you got? Chad Henney has played in the playoffs. What about oh, that yeah. I mean, look at when he came into really Patrick Mahomes a week and a half ago. Hold on. Ago. They ran the ball practically every <laughs> single play. He marched <laughs> 95 yards down the field, oh. and he was ice cold on the bench. They he ran the when ball. He was game managers win games. Game managers do not lose games. They I, win you games. I would bet on Garden Minshew. There's been some errant throws. There's been some interceptions. But he didn't play fantastic. When he came in, I like Gardner Minshew as well. I like the experience of Chad Henney. And sadly, we're one hit away from both of these banged up quarterbacks and, and watching <laughs> a backup quarterback Super Bowl. If you lose your quarterback in the Super Bowl, you're not winning the Super Bowl unless the other team loses their quarterback. Could you have that prop? Both starting quarterbacks do not finish games. Do you want me to tell you why it would make sense if, let's say, Philadelphia lose Jalen Hurts, they still can win the game? Look at the running games. Look at the run defense of Kansas City. The problem with using that rushing term for Philadelphia, you're taking Jalen Hurts out of the rushing. He counts for the rushing. It's like Lamar Jackson. Sure, you lead the league in rushing. Your quarterback is running all over the place. But what happens is when that guy gets hurt, that Henny ain't going to scramble out of the pocket and make Mahomes-type plays. And Pitchaws can move a little bit, but he's not going to scare anybody. That would be a horrible, horrible thing if in the second half, that's who we were watching play this game. If you got great hot wings at halftime, I guess you suck it up and eat them. You know? Are you sure that Chad Henney can't run? The Cleveland Browns would love to have a word. When he came in, my son was a Michigan fan, so I knew of Chad Henney. But it was a long-ass time ago. My son was a kid now. He's a grown man. Listen to these numbers from Miles Sanders this year. 259 carries, 1,269 yards, an average a carry, 4.9, 11 touchdowns. This guy is one of the more fun running backs in the NFL. Speed demon running backs. And Kansas City is going to have a problem with him. He is going to be unstoppable in this game. Is a Miles Sanders your cousin? No, he's not my cousin. If you like him a lot. I was just curious. If he was my cousin, he could give me some money. I don't even have to bet any money. He could give it to me. But he is fantastic. He is, but he's also disappeared a lot. Here's a guy that has let a third-string running back take his carries away from him, too. So I don't disagree with you. He's a fantastic runner when he's on, but when he struggles, he struggles mightily. You're not a first-string running back when you let the third-string guy come in and take carries away from you. I don't believe in Miles Sanders like you do. I'm not saying he's not great, but I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the MVP conversation for this game. There was 
only three running backs that ran over 4.9 or more yards in this season. And Miles Sanders is one of them. If he touches the ball at any part, he is going to get yardage against this Kansas City defense. This is not a good run-stopping defense. And I don't care what Jones does. He's not going to be all over the field. I expect Sirianni to have some plays for this running game. And they're going to do everything they can to use Jalen Hurts' legs if he can't throw the ball. And maybe he isn't 100% healthy. I don't think he is. I don't expect him to throw a lot of yards in this game. He doesn't need to. If they run the ball and control the clock and this defense could dominate as good as Patrick Mahomes is, I don't trust that he is 100% healthy. I don't expect Kansas City to explode. And if they score 20 points in this game against Philadelphia like they did against the Bengals, they don't stand a chance in this game. I think we're going to see some fun offensive football because you've got two coaches that are willing to take a gamble and gamble a lot on fourth down. So I think we're going to see these coaches pulling out all the stops. We're going to see some fun trick plays. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an early try to surprise onside kick. I think it's going to be a shootout when it comes to this offensive play call. And I'm stoked. Just watch these two guys go at it. What I'm thinking of, at the end of the game, when they do that lateral and then the other team takes it back for a touchdown, that would count for my defensive touchdown. So I could literally win the Super Bowl in the last play of the game. That would be pretty cool. Black Hawk West. Kansas City is going to win. He likes Tony. Best value. John from GMF Sports. He likes Sanders. And Wes has them in his round robin. So what Wes did is a round robin where you make them all parlay. So, you know, you can have like five teams. You can do twos and threes, fours and fives, whatever you want to do. Those are my two P. Now, this is John from GMF. He's got Mahomes for MVP. And he's keyed on Sanders for not only the anytime touchdown, but the MVP as well. And we talked about Smart that. guy. To get the MVP as a receiver is hard because you got to break the record or something because otherwise your quarterback's going to get it. Your running back that has three touchdowns, you definitely are in MVP discussions. We've definitely seen, though, receiver MVPs recently. Julian Edelman got one. Uh, Cooper Cup got one. But look at the games they had. Monster games. Cooper Cup's game was amazing. But even so, like if your quarterback throws two interceptions and the receiver has like half the passing but, yards, the receiver could get it. But the Kansas yeah. City Chiefs, yeah. they have holes in their defense. As good as they've been all season long with Jones, how dominant he's been at the line of scrimmage. I think they have so many holes. And I expect that Philadelphia is going to find those holes in this game. I think they have a lot of weapons. Andy Reid is great at game planning. But they don't have game-changing players. They don't have Tyreek Hill in this game. They have one guy, Travis Kelsey. He's a fantastic player. We'll see what this running game of Kansas City is going to do against these five or six beasts at the line of scrimmage because these guys like to close up. Jordan Davis loves stopping the run. A lot of people believe that they're going to clog up the middle and make Mahomes beat him moving inside and out of the pocket. I think they're going to challenge Mahomes and say, if you're 100% better or 100% healthier, go make the plays moving outside of the pocket. If you can't do it, oh, well, we're going to hit you. He was limping every single time he was trying to move outside of the pocket. He was limping. Two weeks later, he's still not 100%. That is going to be very highly taped and quarter zone probably six, seven times before the game. All it takes is one hit, one slip up, one trip, and he's going to be limping. This is the Super Bowl. He will play out this game no matter what, as long as his leg doesn't fall off. What if 80,000 people start chanting, we want Henny? If anybody screams for Chad Henny in this game, they're either blind or just stupid. Nobody wants to see Chad Henny come into this game. Old man Chad or guard 
Gary Minshew with his little crazy bus. Nobody wants to see these two guys come into the game. And if they do, it's going to be the battle of the running games. I trust that the Eagles have more talent, so I'm going to bet that the Eagles' talent will win this game. It'll be close. I would bet the over on this game. I think it'll be like 32-28. There could be a safety in this game. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, what do you think is more likely? The Eagles going for a two-point conversion early or a safety? The Eagles going for a two-point conversion early. Uh-huh. And if you want to know who will be cheering for Chad Henney and Gardner Minshew, anybody who bet the under. And expect a trick play or two. Andy Reid is like the king of finding trick plays and something you've never seen before. Don't be surprised if Nick Sirianni has something drawn up that you never seen before either because this man is not stupid. This is his second year, and Nick Sariani is in the Super Bowl. I remember when they introduced him, and he reminded me of Adam Gase Jr. with his little hat, eyes popping out of his head, and every question that they asked him, he couldn't answer it in Philadelphia. Now this guy is in the Super Bowl against the former head coach, the former superstar known commodity in Philadelphia, Andy Reid. And this is the Andy Reid Bowl. And if Kansas City comes back early in the fourth quarter and wins this game, and the referees are calling it on the Kansas City side, trying to get Kansas City back in the game, it's rigged, baby! Bet on that! Arian Forster is 100% right about this. <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody that tears up a tick in Vegas says the same thing. Right? I yeah, think the I'm Super sure Bowl is rigged. I think they know who's going to win. I don't know if they know what the final score is going to be. I don't know if they knew that helmet catch with the New York Giants in 2007 was going to happen. Do you know that right now on championshipfootballs.com, the Super Bowl championship souvenir football from the Giants, we have one that is signed by both LT and David Tyree. When your catch is so famous that they call it a name, that's a special catch. It's David Tyree. I've met him. Nice guy. But if you have one famous catch and you did nothing else, I could care less. Hey, keep in mind, he also caught the first touchdown in the game. Oh, What's he wear when he goes out? Hey, guys, those catches are easy to forget about. Tom Brady had a great catch, too, but Giselle now lives someplace else. So oh, <laughs> We call it a night on that, though. No? Tom Brady has a pretty sexy young girl now, and Giselle's wearing these ugly bikinis, so good luck to whoever has Giselle now. She has a lot of money, but her looks are dying out. But thank you, Mo. Thank you, Chaz. Always be cash, oh, guys. My pleasure. Mo and Chaz, Moneyline Mania, they were fantastic. Make the plays, make the bets, make some money. And Worldwide West, I know he wants Kansas City to win. I don't think this is going to happen this year unless it's rigged. As much as it pays me as a Giants fan, I do like his Kadarius Tony prop, though. Everything pains you, Speedy. <laughs> when we come back, we will be talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst Seth Kaiser here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Harold Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us in our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, which are live every single week. We have our special guest. The Kansas City Chiefs are heading to the Super Bowl, and why not bring in their lead analyst for The Athletic? We are now talking to The Athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser. Seth, what's up, bud? Not a whole lot. Just enjoying the evening. Having a real good night. How are you guys doing? We are good, man. You look good. I know you're looking forward to the Super Bowl 
football this weekend. Your Kansas City Chiefs are, I wouldn't say favored in this game, but if Mahomes is 100% healthy or maybe even just 85-90% healthy in this game, they have a very good chance as the, he's been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last two seasons. Before we get into that, how are you and your family doing with the outbreak, with COVID and everything that was going on over the last couple of years? Everyone's doing great. I live up in rural Minnesota, so we tend to be relatively unscathed by many of the things that tend to affect the rest of society. That's what happens when you're a stone's throw from Canada. So life is good. We've got actually a bunch of family coming over to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday and should be a lot of fun. Now we're one and one when hosting family for Super Bowl. <laughs> you got the good result and then the massacre. We'll see how it goes, but yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. The massacre happened because there was no offensive line help. Right. right. I think actually I was playing left guard that week. <laughs> I still might it take was... you over Mike Remmers at this rate. I'm a Giants fan. I know how bad he was. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also didn't help that three of the greatest throws I've ever seen hit his receivers in the face and then they just dropped him. I'm still mad about that. They would have lost either way. There's no scheme for we can't block them, but it really would have been nice if at least one of the insane throws he made, someone would have caught. Because then you could at least say, hey, he completed the greatest pass I've ever seen while they got killed in the Super Bowl. That would have been more fun. Maybe Arian Foster had something to say about that as he believes the game is rigged. Maybe it is. Maybe that game was Tom Brady's farewell party as he wins his final Super Bowl in Tampa, and they're the first team to ever win a home game in a Super Bowl. So, hey, Tom Brady's done it all. So, thank you to Arian Foster as the Super Bowl over the last couple of years, I believe. Games just didn't fall right the way I thought it should have. So, maybe it is rigged. There's only one logical explanation for that. What's that? It's that it's rigged. (laughs) (laughs) When things don't turn out the way I expect, my only assumption is that someone somehow cheated me. There you go. (laughs) We are talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser. A matchup advantage that you think is a huge advantage for the Chiefs and a matchup advantage that you think is a downside for the Chiefs that they're going to really have to game plan for. It's tough to find a huge advantage when you're looking at a roster as talented as the Eagles. I do think for as good as the Eagles have been against tight ends this year, and they've been pretty decent, I think some of that is a matchup issue. I think Kelsey against their linebackers in the middle of the field is a pretty big mismatch in favor of the Chiefs. They're going to have to figure out a way to scheme around that, whether that's having a safety trail or something like that. I think something that favors the Eagles, their edge rushers, particularly the way their edge rushers win against the Chiefs tackles is problematic. Orlando Brown, he's a decent left tackle. I'd call him even above average. He performs well against good defensive ends, but he has very specific weaknesses when it comes to speed rushers. And Riddick and Graham can both bend that corner pretty well. And so I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit nervous with that. Andrew Wiley, he's an average offensive lineman. That sounds like an insult, but it's not. It's hard to be an average offensive lineman, but that doesn't mean you're average all the time. What that means is you're either having a good game or a bad game. And that comes out to average. And the bad game against a guy like Riddick could look real bad. We are talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser. Seth, you look at this game. This is not a game that people are talking about this week. With the NBA trade deadline this week and everything that's happened with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and baseball is around the corner, pitchers and catchers. Everybody's forgotten that the Super Bowl is this week. Do you like the fact that the Super Bowl is two weeks away after the NFC and AFC title game? This year, I kind of appreciated it because the Chiefs had some injuries that they needed to get past. Teams always tend to get a little bit healthier before the Super Bowl, which is nice. The only part of it that really bums me out, I think it gives us 
in the media a little too much time to talk because then you start seeing some of the weird stuff come out. Not just with the weird questions that people get asked, but you can only talk so many times about how much Steve Spagnuolo is going to blitz Jalen Hurts. <laughs> so eventually people start talking about this stuff. That's where you see on some of the podcasts or some of the articles, maybe Jalen Hurts is better than Mahomes. And you start to see it, you're like, okay, everyone, let's just <laughs> calm down. Let's play the game. We don't have to do that. And so the delay is kind of rough, but I think it's good because you end up with at least as healthy as teams are going to get this time of year. So one of those key injuries is the wide receivers a lot and they lost three of them in the AFC championship game alone yes. they were playing with a lot of rookies it looks like McCole Harmon is going to be out no matter what but still shot for Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster how big of a concern do you think it is matchup wise against the secondary for the Eagles the biggest thing about having McCole Hardman out is he is really the guy that they've relied on for the last several years to execute a lot of the jet sweep actions whether they actually hand it off or not some of those little pop passes they do and that's something that they love to do specifically to slow down really good edge rushers it's what they did against the 49ers earlier this year against Nick Bosa kind of made him a non-factor in the game he never knew where the ball was going to be and so you can't get up field very quickly when you're always wondering what's going to happen there without him they need Kadarius Tony healthy to fulfill that role that's definitely concerning for that very specific matchup Andy Reid's really great at removing defensive ends from games if he's got the right personnel to execute some of that stuff Kadarius Tony being healthy is almost a necessity and in terms of Juju Smith-Schuster he's a guy that they trust to beat man coverage with back shoulder throws some of those things they trust him to win one-on-one -on -one a little bit more than the other guys they have on the roster. The Eagles like to run the ball. Kansas City was ranked 20th in the league on stopping the run. They've had problems against running quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts is one of the best running quarterbacks in the NFL. And you look at the three-headed monster with the Philadelphia Eagles and Sanders and what they could produce running the ball. Do you think this is going to be a problem in the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs? Absolutely. It's been a problem for basically everyone they've played. The only teams that have really slowed them down, except the Colts for some weird reason. The Colts, who beat the Chiefs as well. I made a comment earlier today on a different podcast that if the Colts played everyone as tough as they played the Eagles and the Chiefs, they'd be 16-1 and because they beat the Chiefs. <laughs> the big thing with their run game, so there's two things that I think need to happen there. The first one is related to the Chiefs' offense. It's a game script issue. The Eagles' offense is significantly less efficient when they are behind or when they're not able to kind of dictate the pace of the game. Now, fortunately for them, because they're awesome, they're rarely losing. The first quarter and a half or so is really important for the Eagles because if the Chiefs manage to buy a really good opening script, jump out to like a 14-3 or 14-6 lead. That puts the Eagles in a position where you can't just pound the rock, spam duo 10 times in a row like they did against the Steelers. The other thing is they're going to have to stack up the line of scrimmage. They're going to have to send blitzers, including run blitzes, because I think head on, they can't handle that run game. I don't know if really anyone can, but in particular, the Chiefs linebackers struggle when guys climb to the second level at times. They don't shed particularly well. And Jason Kelsey, when he climbs to the second level, he's an absolute monster. The last thing they can afford is him getting to that second level over and over. Because once the Eagles find something that works, they'll just spam it until you show you can stop it. And that's something I actually really love about them. It's like, well, we're running the ball for seven yards of pop. We're just going to keep running it and they'll just do it all the way down the field. Yeah, I learned that in the Giants-Eagles playoff game very well. They did that <laughs> yeah. all the first quarter and into the second quarter. Speaking of the Chiefs with their defense, a lot of their young DBs have really strived. A lot of them, they got in the picks for the Tyree Kill trade, Jalen Watson, Trent McDuffie, Brian Cook, even Nick Bolton kind of as a hybrid safety they started using him as later in the season. So what have been your impressions of that, especially in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals, that tough receiving core? Early on against the Bengals, obviously, Legereus Sneed, who's been their top corner all year, he gets hurt right away. And Sneed's really important in Spagnuolo's defense because he loves to utilize slot blitzes, safety blitzes. And Legereus Sneed is a very gifted blitzer. He's a really physical player. And their plan was to have him follow around Jamar Chase. How good an idea that was, I don't know, because no one should be following around Jamar Chase, but whatever. So they had to have three rookie corners. And then when Willie Gay Jr. got 
got hurt. They brought in Brian Cook and had him playing on the back end while they brought up Justin Reed to play kind of that hybrid role. So you had four rookies out there and they acquitted themselves really well. Trent McDuffie has been exceptional this year as a rookie. It's unfortunate that he missed some time due to injury. And also he shared being a rookie the same year as Sauce, who had one of the best rookie years we've ever seen for a corner. <laughs> the thing about every one of those rookies is that they've been average or above. And to even be average, McDuffie's been very good. Watson's been a little above average. Williams has had a little more ebbs and flows. Cook, same thing. But to even be average as a rookie on the back end and not be this glaring, blind, weak spot like they had last year with Dan Sorensen at safety, that's just such a big deal because defense is as much about avoiding weaknesses as it is having strengths. We are talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser. The Eagles are just so much better than the Kansas City Chiefs in so many areas. But there's one thing that I believe the Chiefs have the advantage going into this game, and that's coaching. Andy Reid, who's won a Super Bowl, he's been here before, he's done it with the Eagles. This is the Andy Reid ball. The (laughs) Eagles, Nick Sirianni, who has been a breath of fresh air for the Philadelphia Eagles after taking over for Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl for the Eagles. What are your thoughts going into this game? and the advantages Andy Reid has against Nick Sirianni. I think there is something to be said for having been there before, understanding even something silly like what does Super Bowl week look like? How do I plan my practices around it? How do we plan our travel time around it? The weird media times, all of that stuff. Just having done something a few more times, it's like anything else. You kind of are able to develop habits and procedures, and that's something that is a big advantage. The extra week, everyone knows Andy Reid, after bye weeks, generally speaking, does pretty good work because he's such a good game planner, and he can make his script even bigger than 15 plays because he's got extra time. I think the biggest advantage, it really is the having been there before. That includes also Steve Spagnolo, who's a really good individual game planning defensive coordinator. So having that extra time, I think it benefits the coaching staff with more experience, the coaching staff that's been there before, and that's maybe a little more specialized in terms of individual game plans, as opposed to what I see with the Eagles. They're just such a terrific team. They're so talented. They overwhelm a lot of teams with that talent, but generally speaking, they do what they do. The checks that you see in response to blitzes are the same in week three as they are in week seven. Not completely the same because they're not idiots, but they do what they do and what they do is terrific. And I think when that's how those things work, because I've seen the other side of that, when Reed was a little more, well, we do what we do, that can be a disadvantage when it's much more of a specific individualized game plan. So one of the Eagles defense biggest weaknesses has been against pass catching running backs, 24th in the league. So that's the eighth most yards given up. And we've seen a lot of Isaiah Pacheco this postseason in comparison to more of the other running backs. But Jarek McKinnon Mm -hmm. was also big in last year's postseason against the Bills and against the Bengals, especially. So you think we'll see more of him and even receivers catching shovel passes a lot more? Or do you think they'll stick with Pacheco just because he's the hot hand? You're going to see a ton of both of them. You're going to see a lot of Jarek McKinnon in part. What they really like about him, he's a good pass catcher. He executes the offense really well. Andy Reid is much more detailed about the designs of his screens than almost any other coach in the league. If you talk to offensive linemen who've played for him, that's what they talk about. His other coaches, they don't have like a, you're going to take seven steps exactly and hit your landmark right there. Like that's what Andy Reid does. Every piece of it is so intricate. And that's why McKinnon's good at it because he executes it exactly. But what they really love about him is his pass protection he's psychotic because he weighs like a buck 90 and he will take on linebackers head on and he's good at it good for him I respect that that is some great little man syndrome I love that with Pacheco he's bigger he's stronger he's faster they've actually kind of rolled him into the passing game only over the course of the last three or four weeks or so and so my guess is you're going to see a relatively even split but you're going to see Pacheco get the ball quite a few more times McKinnon more gets the ball as a way to keep defenses honest so you don't have a tell well McKinnon's back there they're throwing 
throwing the ball. But overall, I think Pacheco is going to be the one primarily with the ball. Seth, I've got 10 names that are going to really stand out. Brandon Graham, Robert Quinn, Fletcher Cox, Dominican Sue, Milton Williams, Javon Hargrave, Jordan Davis, Linville Joseph, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick. There's about six beasts at this line that are going to go after a quarterback that has a high ankle sprain. There is no way he's 100% healthy because it takes three to four weeks to heal. What is Patrick Mahomes going to do if he's limping throughout the Super Bowl? You'd probably see a similar game plan to what you saw with the Bengals and then what you saw against the Jags when he came back and was significantly more impaired in terms of how he could move. It just comes down to being able to win from the pocket. And one of my favorite things about what's happened in the last couple weeks is people that haven't really watched Mahomes. A lot of people, they watch red zone Mahomes. So they see the flips, they see standing on his head and he kicks the ball to someone (laughs) or whatever. And so people assume that that's what makes Mahomes great. But when you actually sit down and you chart his snaps and you watch every single snap, what makes him great is his unbelievable consistency in pre-snap and post-snap reads, his ability to find the right receiver, make an accurate throw from any platform, time after time after time. The heroic stuff that makes all the highlights, it's awesome to watch, and he does it multiple times a game, but he doesn't need it to win anymore. And he hasn't for a couple of years. And so what I'm guessing is if he aggravates it and he's limping around a lot more, I think what you're going to see is them kind of adjust their game plan in terms of calling out certain shot plays to try to have MVS stretch the field. And then it's just going to be about the matter of reading the defense. You do motion, they run in man, they run in zone. What do they think they are? And he's going to be picking his spots more pre-snap as opposed to running around trying to create that second play. Easier said than done. A lot of monsters on that defensive line. He's probably relieved they can't line them all up at once. (laughs) We saw against the Bengals what Kansas City did. When he was limping, he was running the ball. He is not going to be able to run against these beasts because they're ranked fifth in rushing defense throughout the league. They like to clog up the middle. They have a bunch of guys that can do that. He is going to have to air out the ball, and he's got a ton of guys that he is going to have to face in the secondary. James Bradbury, Darius Slay, Gardner Johnson, who's been one of the best corners in the league all season long. He is going to have problems, and you don't know if Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be healthy. This defense is so good. If Patrick Mahomes somehow pulls this out of his end, it would be one of the greatest games I've seen a quarterback play against one of the better defenses we've seen in a very long time. The interesting thing, and I actually wrote about this earlier this week, is when you look at that Philly defense, I would say we don't know how good they are. Mm. We know they're great on paper. We also know that Jared Goff and Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love tore them up. And those are the best quarterbacks they played all year. Yes, they really did beat up on Tyler Heineke and they beat up on a bunch of quarterbacks that really aren't very good. They played five offenses that were, in terms of EPA, even in the top 12. And And of those, all of them moved the ball in them except Trevor Lawrence, who could not stop fumbling the ball for some reason. Now, part of that was because he was getting smacked around all day, which goes towards your point. The thing that interests me with the Eagles is when I watch Dak Prescott just scorch that defense. It made me wonder, we haven't seen them tested. Now, sometimes being really great against bad teams means you're going to be really great against good teams too. And I think that's probably more likely because of the names they have and the talent they have. But when I see some of the ways that they have been beat, I think there's a lot of reliance on overwhelming individual talent there and overwhelming talent up front. And that wins the vast majority of the time. I don't know if that wins necessarily against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That's why they were able to put up 40 plus on the Niners earlier this year. It's not enough just to have a great pass rush. You've got to have a cohesive game 
plan in place too. That would be their shot to succeed against so much talent. One X factor on both sides of the ball for the Chiefs to win this game. The biggest X factor with the Chiefs defense, it's going to be whether or not they have a plan to not get just destroyed in the run game. Their linebackers, this is it. This is the game of their life. They've struggled to stop the ball on the ground. I think that's going to be the X factor there. Otherwise, you end up in a game where the Eagles are going to completely dictate the tempo. They're also going to be able to run play action, some of those shot plays that they love to do. And it's going to be easy for them because the Chiefs are going to have to crowd the line of scrimmage completely. Can you get them in bad situations? Can you get them in third and six plus, force them to throw the ball a little bit more? When the Chiefs are on the offensive side of the ball, the obvious is Mahomes. How good is the ankle? Is he at 70% or is he at 90%? That's an easy one. So I'll say instead, let's go with Orlando Brown Jr. He's been up and down above average overall, but not great. This is his opportunity. He wanted to be the highest paid tackle in the league this year. The Chiefs didn't do it. They franchise tagged him. This game, this is his opportunity. Regardless, he had a really bad start to the year. Playing on a bad knee, but he played very poorly on it. If he plays a great game, that allows him to walk into negotiations the offseason. Look what I did. You don't win a Super Bowl without me. They've got a really good interior line. If Brown can play a good game, that gives them a shot. Whereas if he plays a poor game, it makes it a lot tougher and makes for Chiefs fans reliving what happened against Tampa. We are talking to the athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser. Which Kelsey has the better game? One. Number two, who's the MVP of the Super Bowl? Number three, what is your final score of the game and who wins the Super Bowl? Man, Jason Kelsey's so good. I think Travis Kelsey has the better game just because I've never seen him do anything but something excellent in the playoffs. Every single time, the way he produces, he's behind Jerry Rice in playoff production. That's it. That's the list of people he's behind. So I, I think it'll be Travis. If no other reason, then it'll be more noticeable. No one notices centers, sadly enough. In terms of the MVP of the game, it would take a Herculean performance by someone for it to not be one of the quarterbacks. Whichever team wins, it's probably going to be the quarterback of that team. Barring, you know, if like Hassan Riddick has like seven sacks or Chris Jones forces four fumbles or something crazy like that. I think it'll be one of the quarterbacks. I think the Chiefs managed to pull it out narrowly 30 to 27. Just remember, it is rigged. Well, yeah, <laughs> it depends on whatever the script writers say. Hopefully we finally see the behind the back pass from Mahomes. There you go. Hopefully that's in the script. And maybe Arian Forster puts on a Kansas City Chiefs jersey <laughs> and he's the star running back for the Super Bowl. Maybe that happens. Yeah, Who he knows? runs out, hits someone with a chair. The crowd goes wild. I'd watch that. He worked for Barstool, so why not pull out a stool and beat somebody in the head with one? But we really appreciate you, Seth. I know you're a busy guy. It's a busy week for you, and keep up the good work, and we'll get you on very soon. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. The great Seth Kaiser. You like that? I don't know about the motor sound, but I did like him. That motor sound gives me the firepower. I could go from 0 to 100, and then I'm clear. Little Drake. But yeah, he was fantastic. Looking forward to getting Seth on the show. After the season, we will get into the draft as it will be held in Kansas City. By the way, Seth lives in Minnesota. So how is he a Kansas City Chiefs beat writer? Maybe he watched his parents deal with so much Vikings heartbreak, he decided to do something else. No, that might be true. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. A little fabulous. I am fabulous, as everybody knows. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. 
Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. You can check out the replay, Apple Podcasts, if you missed any of the shows. Check out the Sports Lounge, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. It is me and Speedy Petey. It is great content, funny, great guests, fantastic, best guests you could possibly get on a radio show. I'm not lying to you guys. Ex-NFL players, baseball players, hockey players, basketball players, coaches that are coaching college ball. And by the way, the best beat writers, too, come on our show as well. So check out our show every single week. Speedy, uh, it's been a great show, and we do this every single week. Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, all Super Bowl theme this week. Buy or sell. We'll start with the receivers. All three of Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith will have five-plus catches at 80-plus yards. I'm going to buy it. I think all of them are going to have big games. I don't know how many touchdowns Travis Kelsey is going to have in this game, but he's going to need at least two if they have any chance of winning this game. He is their one true weapon. I know Tony is playing in this game. I know Juju Smith-Schuster is coming back and playing this game. But how healthy are they? Kelsey needs to have more than 100 yards and two touchdowns. But I think all three of them will have over 80 yards. I'm going to sell that one. I don't think Devontae Smith does. I think this is a tougher matchup. Legereus Sneed. In the slot, who's stopping him? Legereus Sneed is a good slot corner. He's not 100% healthy. I get that. But I also like the matchup for him to be able to stretch the field to allow Jalen Hurts to be able to run more in man coverage. A.J. Brown, I think, definitely will. You're going up against Trent McDuffie, who's a rookie corner. And Travis Kelsey's definitely definitely going to get his. I think he gets over 100 yards in this game. The Eagles, if there's any weakness on their defense, has been the size of their linebackers and also the strong safety position. But I don't think Smith does. I am going to sell that one. All right, let's shift to the quarterbacks. Buy or sell. A quarterback will lead one of the two teams in rushing yards. It's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to sell that. I don't. I don't think any quarterback is going to lead their respectable teams in running the ball. I think Sanders and Pacheco, one or the other. I cannot see Jalen Hurts outrunning Sanders in this game, and I definitely can't see Patrick Mahomes doing that with his leg. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to buy that one. I'm going to say Jalen Hurts does. I think it's a good matchup for blitz counters in this game. Steve Spagnuolo does like the blitz. I think Hurts will get some big chunk runs in this game. I don't think Miles Sanders has the big game against that interior interior rush for the Chiefs. I think he's a smaller running back. I like Kenneth Gainwell as a matchup advantage, but I don't know if he's going to get a lot of carries in this game. I think scrimmage yards receiving-wise, he'll get a lot in this game, but I don't think he'll get a lot of rushing yards. So I do buy Jalen Hurts will lead the Eagles in rushing yards. All right, let's shift to the defense. Either Chris Jones or Hassan Reddick will have multiple sacks in this game. I'm going to sell it. I don't think any of them are having multiple sacks in this game. I think they both have at least one, but I don't think multiple sacks. So I'm going to sell that. No. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. I think Hassan Reddick is also going to be used as a decoy a lot to stop a lot of those screen passes. Chris Jones, that's going to be a tough matchup for him against Jason Kelsey, who's arguably the best center in the league. So I think Reddick will get one. I think Jones might get a half. I am going to sell that one. All right, both teams with their running backs will rush for 100 yards in this game. I'm going to buy that. I am going to buy both teams will have over 100 yards as far as the running backs are concerned. Sanders and Pacheco, both of them are going to have 100 yards or more. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I don't think the Chiefs do. I think it's going to be more the receiving running backs in this game. The Eagles have had trouble against receiving running backs. Jarek McKinnon, I think, has a big game because of that, but he's not a great rusher. I think they're just under 100. I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Both quarterbacks will have a turnover in this game. I'm going to sell that. I don't think both of them are going to have it. I believe Patrick Mahomes will have an interception in this game. Darius Slade, what Johnson does and what Bradbury does, these are great corners. I don't see Jalen Hurts throwing the ball a lot in this game, so I don't think he's going to get him 
himself into trouble. And I don't think he's fumbling the ball. He barely fumbled the ball this year. So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. I don't think Mahomes does. I think they're going to be very cautious with him in the beginning of the game. He has been had some reckless turnovers at certain points during the postseason, but I think the Chiefs and Andy Reid especially are going to be smart with him. And Jalen Hurts, he might have won if he does running. I don't think he would throw in the ball. He's very smart with the football. You as think well. Patrick Mahomes is not going to? No, and you I don't. think Jalen Hurts is. I think he's more likely to. Just because I think he'll be I able disagree. to run the ball a lot. I disagree. He's not 100% healthy. He's going to try to run and he's going to make mistakes. And with that secondary, I can't see it. We agree, but disagree on that one. All right, last one. Somebody that is not a quarterback will win Super Bowl MVP. I've been saying this. I said it on Moneyline Mania. I'll say it again. It will be Sanders. He will run the ball. And he will dominate the game at the line of scrimmage. I think it's Sanders. If the Eagles win, if Kansas City wins, it will be Patrick Mahomes. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one for that reason. I just don't really see with the way the Chiefs spread the ball around. I can't see anyone other than Mahomes. Maybe Kelsey if he has like this 130-yard game or something like that. I think he'll have over 100. and I think he'll have a touchdown. But I don't think it'll be enough for him to win MVP. And they just platoon everyone else too much, especially with all the receiving injuries that they have. So I do like Jarek McKinnon as a sleeper, but I don't think he's good enough to win MVP. I'll sell. I say Patrick. Patrick Mahomes wins MVP. Well, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank everybody that keeps listening to the show. We really appreciate you guys. Keep listening to us. We love being the voices of sports and sports radio here in Long Island and throughout the New York market. We're really proud of our product right now. I would like to thank the Athletic Kansas City Chiefs analyst, Seth Kaiser, for joining us. He's fantastic. And check him out on social media and Twitter. He's a great writer and he does some great work. We'll get him on again. Thank you to Moneyline Mania as they sharpen their personalities as they do every single week, giving us their hot takes and their picks throughout the Super Bowl 57 plays. So thank you to our friends at Moneyline Mania. Thank you to you, Speedy, as you've been a pain in the butt as always, but that's you and me being the crazy person that I am. We'll be back next week. Tune in as always. And by the way, check out the Sports Loud Mounts, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. If you've missed any of the shows, go to Apple podcast check out the worldwide sports radio network you can find the sports loudmouths it's great shows great content great yes guys we have some of the best guests you want to talk about wfen and espn i'm not throwing them under the bus i will not do that but i will tell you we get as good or better guests than they do in every single one of our shows including this one but thank you to all the fans keep listening to us and remember watch super bowl 57 as i believe it is rigged i'm just kidding we will be back next week on saturday good night